Father, I thank you for your presence that is here this morning in a very tangible way. Lord, I pray that you would help us not just to be uh, spectators who watch what's going on, but Lord, let us participate in your move today. Father, open our hearts and minds to be touched by you through your word. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Last week, we had a great message delivered to us by Lane Fosnaugh, challenging us to get out of the boat, to write that blank check and allow God to work through us in the lives of people around us as we talked about faith promise. I felt impressed that it's important for us to have another opportunity to uh, piggyback on that great word that was given to us. And so today, I want to share a message with you rallying around our faith promise opportunity that's in front of us. If you're new to Grace Point or somehow you've been around and you say, faith promise what? What is that? This is an opportunity where we covenant with God. We ask God to put on our heart what it is that he wants us to do in sacrificial giving over and above our regular giving to missions around the world. Now, it's not just a pledge. If I'm going to pledge something to Ash, I'm going to calculate in my mind and say, okay, I think I can do this and I can make this arrangement. And, and I kind of got control and I'm going to pledge this. But a faith promise is saying, God, I feel like this is what you're leading me to do. And without your help, I'm not sure that that can happen. But with your help, God, by faith, I'm going to commit this amount to getting your news around the world. I want to start this morning by sharing with you a few statistics about the world we live in. The world we live in, there's 6.4 billion people in the world, approximately. Kind of run out of time counting them this week. Well, that's a joke. You've got to laugh. They don't get much better than that. I didn't say I was funny. I'm just telling you where the jokes are coming. Uh, there's 6.4 billion people in the world. And, and out of that 6.4 billion, one out of seven do not have enough to eat. One out of six don't have access to safe water. That same statistic, one out of six don't have access to the most basic of medical needs, basic health care. One out of two live on less than $2 a day. Twenty-six children die a day of hunger-related causes. Ninety-three million primary-age children don't have any form of education or school to partake in. 800 million people go hungry every day. Children who are modest, moderately underweight are four times more likely to die of disease than a well-nourished child. Now I want to share with you a few statistics about us. Americans who go to church under the name of Christian, American churchgoers, the total income of just the Christians here in the United States, is somewhere around $5.2 trillion. Now, I'm not great at math, but, but that's $5,000 billion. Just of Christians, those who go to church, who call themselves Christians here in the United States. American Christians who make up 5% of the globe's body of believers. So out of all the Christians in the world, the American Christian community is about 5%, and yet we have over 50% of the resources of all the Christians around the globe. It's amazing how much stuff we can have, and how many resources we can have, and how many blessings we can have, and yet we still feel like, ah, really need some more. I want you to direct your attention to the screen and watch this video with me. 
We come into this world so simply. But somewhere along the way, we make being human incredibly complicated. We worry about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and so even though Jesus told us to consider how well the Father takes care of the lilies of the field, we still seem to think that the lilies could be improved upon with just a little more stuff. The more we worry about not having enough stuff, the more tightly we hold to the stuff that we have. And stuff builds up and builds up around us until it's hard to see much of anything else. ask a question this morning. I think it's a fair question. Do we as American Christians have a responsibility to use the blessings that God has given us to get the good news out around the world? It comes down to a question of, well, who are the people around us that are in need? Or as scripture talks about, who is my neighbor and what does it mean to be a good neighbor? What does that look like? As you take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 10, turn to Luke 10 verse 25, we'll be there in a second. I want to set the scene or the context for us on this passage that we'll be reading together. Jesus is going to encounter a person called an expert in the law. This expert Jesus is talking with calls Jesus the teacher, but he was trying to give this teacher a test. This properly schooled lawyer was testing Jesus the popular teacher, but yet not the official teacher. And he wanted to expose to the crowd that Jesus could not handle a very tough theological question. But Jesus didn't fall for this. Since he was the teacher, he turned the test back to the expert and put it on him. Look with me at Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? This expert in the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. See, the lawyer is, is asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus asks him, Well, you're, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? What, what does the rules say about this? The lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, in effect, is saying, you got it right. You get an A-plus for the question. Way to go. Good job. You know the right stuff. Now just go do it, and you will live. You see, Jesus is pointing out that it's not enough just to know the truth, we need to act upon it. It's not just enough to know what gives eternal life. We need to act upon it. Look at verse 29. But he, this expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to defend himself and he wants to give a narrow definition of, of neighbor to create some kind of loophole that he can get out of what Jesus may be asking him to do. To the lawyer, love your neighbor meant to love those of your own race, of your own ethnicity, of your own religious tribe. If a person doesn't fit those qualifications and they are not your neighbor, you're not required to love them. You're not required to give to them. 
What is your definition of neighbor? He asked Jesus. Let's look at Jesus' response, and we're going to see how Jesus gives some good, clear instructions on what it means to be a good neighbor and how to reach out to people around us. The first thing I want us to see is, number one, a neighbor, according to Jesus, is someone who has awareness. A good neighbor is someone who has awareness of the needs around them. Look at verse 30 through 33. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. See, Jesus tells this parable or this story to get the point across of what it means to be a good neighbor. Who is my neighbor and how do I love people who are my neighbors? I want you to notice this cast of characters. We have a group of robbers who robbed this man and beat him up and now he's half dead laying in a ditch. And then there's these three main characters. The first is a priest. The priest was a very respected in high office for the people of Israel, and they were the, the very God representatives for the people. And so this was an esteemed religious leader, the priest. Second, there is the Levite. The Levites weren't quite as esteemed as the priest, but yet they were very honored and they were above the cut of the rest. They would take care of the things at the temple and they would make sure it was safe and they would provide for those things. And then Jesus pulls a fast one and changes what would be anticipated. So far, Jesus mentioned a priest and a Levite, and we're not sure who we'd expect to be next, but the original hearers would definitely have expected to hear a Jew. But Jesus says a Samaritan. It'd kind of be like today if we would say, there's Papa Bear, and then there's Mama Bear, and then there's a skunk. It should be Baby Bear. Everybody knows it's Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Baby Bear. Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Skunk. Jesus grabs their attention by giving this third main character in his parable as a Samaritan. You see, Samaritans were despised by the Jews. The Samaritans were the half-breeds, part Jew and mixed with other tribes. Samaritans believed in the law, but they didn't worship in the same place as the other Jews. And they were considered to be these... People on the outskirts. The religious contempt between these two groups was intense and sometimes even violent. By using a Samaritan as the hero, Jesus is pointing out that it doesn't matter what you call yourself. It matters what you act upon of what you know to be true. It's the same today. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christian, but I believe Jesus is calling out to us today and saying, how do you act well, this is what gives me eternal life. Well, go and do what it says. Now, notice that all three of these men had some things in common. Each of them were aware of the need of this man who was robbed. All of them were aware of the need. The difference is what they did with that awareness. The two religious guys, they passed him by. They not only ignored him, but they went out of their way to be separate from him and crossed the street to get to the other side. But the Samaritan took pity on him. The first question the priests and Levites asked was, if I stop to help this man, 
what, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? I mean, if, if, I, if I help this guy, he may ask for something. He's going to take something from me and then I won't have anything to give to my, my family and it's going to cost me something. If I help him, what's going to happen to me? If I help him, he's wounded, he's bleeding, he's cut. I may catch his disease and, and, and if I help him, I may end up getting sick because I'm helping him. I'm not sure where the robbers are. And so if, if I help this man, they could come attack me and I could be robbed. And so I don't know if I'm going to do that. If I help him, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan took that question and reversed it. The Good Samaritan said, if I don't help this man, what will happen to him? He dared to put the priority on somebody else other than himself. And it was the whole point of Jesus' parable. You know, there's some people who took Jesus' teachings and they believed them and they were in a setting just like us. And they were bold enough to believe that it was more important to think about the needs of someone other than themselves. And so they gave sacrificially and they supported missions like we're talking about today. And, and somebody said, what will happen to that person around the world if I don't act now? I want you to hear the testimony of a young woman who was impacted by people just like you and me who gave of themselves and of their resources to take the good news of Jesus to a place that was far from home. Watch the screen with me. Listen. I'm from China, and before my university time, I have no point, I have no idea on what the meaning of life. But after I went for my university abroad, I'm quite alone. And the people who help us to set up everything in the university, the group of people who seem to be amazing. Amazing in a way that they seem to know what the meaning of life. They seem to be secure, they seem to be joyful, no matter what happens in their life. I start wondering why. I ask them, why you are so joyful, no matter what happens? They told me, because I am a Christian. During this journey, I get to know more about the knowledge of God. I make my decision to be a follower of Christ as well. Today, I'm standing here because of your giving. Thank you for your giving that makes so many difference in many people's lives. I am just one of the small examples. You see, we have awareness of needs. You've heard the phrase said many times before, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And a big part of our missions around the world for the Church of the Nazarene is obviously to give the message of Jesus Christ. But sometimes because of physical hunger or pain or injustice or even the challenges of their life, they're not open to hearing the good news of Jesus until we come alongside and show how much we care as well. There's awareness of the need, physical needs, emotional needs, educational needs. And the most important is the spiritual need. Without Jesus, there is not hope. Let's go back to our text and see what Jesus is telling us about being a neighbor. A neighbor is someone who has awareness. Second, a neighbor is someone who has access. Look at verse 34. 
he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive, and olive oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Now look at the first four words of that verse there in verse 34. He went to him. He had access. He went to him. He did what he could do. The Samaritan didn't wait for somebody else. He didn't like call 911 and try to send some emergency team there. He didn't call upon his pastor and say, hey, would, would you take care of this problem? He went to the need. He was aware and he had access. He acted upon what he saw needed to be done. He got involved. He was moved with compassion towards action. He got in the ditch. He got dirty with the guy. Probably getting some blood on him as he took care of him. He probably came out of the ditch looking like that guy did. He bandaged his wounds. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe he took from some of his headdress and used his clothing to bandage him up or take strips of his clothing and tear it apart and and create bandages for him. But it cost him something of his time, of his his very self and his access. He got to that man and took care of the need. It tells us he pours oil on the wound. Oil was to keep the wound supple and then wine to disinfect that wound to protect from some infection. And he did what he could do and he had access to do that. The Samaritan took time to stop, to slow down his own progress, to get off his donkey, to put the man on and to take him to an inn. You see, there were people who had access, just like you and I do today, They had an opportunity, they were aware of a need of people in a certain country who needed the gospel of Jesus, and they took the the awareness and their access and they acted upon it. Just like we do here in Faith Promise today, we have opportunities before us to sacrificially give to get the news of Jesus out. There were people many years ago, through something similar to Faith Promise, acted And because they did, a people group were reached. And because of their obedience today, there's an entire people group who not only know Jesus, but are thriving and sending missionaries of their own to other places. Watch this video with me. It was 1914, and Roger and Mary Winans were listening. The voice of God was thundering deeply in their chests, like a drum. It was a simple beat. Two syllables, in fact. And together, they paid close attention as God sounded out the rhythm that would be his dream for them. Peru. Though delighted at the Spirit's movements within Roger and Mary, a small denomination called the Church of the Nazarene lacked the resources to send them where their hearts were calling. Undeterred, they made a decision to sail on faith, and make the journey relying on their own meager funds. Make no mistake, the journey was hard, and their story was not without its obstacles. But the rhythm within wouldn't allow them to quit. And because of their faith and unbelievable perseverance, God blessed their ministry beyond imagination. The truth of the gospel poured like a falling rain over the Andes Mountains and spread through the many tributaries of the Amazon River. For 34 years, the Winans listened, dreamed, and today the Church of the Nazarene has over 900 vibrant churches there. Because of their faithfulness, this is a story that is still being written today. And if we listen closely, we can hear the beat. 
It calls through the trees of the Amazon jungle to us. And if we choose, we can contribute a verse to this song that Roger and Mary began long ago. Just like the Winans made a decision to say, God, I'm hearing your call. I'm going to step out in faith. I don't know that I have all the resources to do this in my strength, but I'm by faith going to set sail, literally, physically, to go where you're calling me to go. I love that line that we just read on the screen. If the people at the homeland could just see what we see and see the need, they would do just a little bit more to help the gospel go even farther. Jesus would tell us in this parable, not only is a neighbor someone who has awareness, who has access, but third, a neighbor is someone who has ability. Look at verse 35. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. See, if you read between the lines, it appears that this This Samaritan had traveled this road before and possibly stayed at this inn before and had a relationship with this innkeeper. And and he's writing a blank check, just like Lane talked to us about last week, where he says, I'm going to pay up front for the the needs that I'm aware of, but there's probably going to be needs that I'm not aware of. And through the ability that I have, I'm going to commit to cover the cost to make whatever it needs to happen, happen for this guy who's been hurt. You see, he had the ability Margaret Thatcher once said, no one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He had money as well. Many times it takes the resources that God has blessed us with. If you're in America, and we all are sitting in America right now, by the world's standards, every single one of us in this room is rich. I don't always feel rich. Do you feel rich? I don't always feel rich. I know I am, but I don't always feel it. The temptation to allow the desire for more stuff creeps in, but you and I have a responsibility to give out of the ability that we've been blessed with. You see, the call is very clear. Jesus said to go and make disciples, not just in Fort Wayne, not just in Indiana, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the things that I have commanded. It's right there on the wall. It's a part of who God has called every Christian church to be. I want you to look to the screen and listen to this indigenous pastor who gets the call right and he rallies us to get in on what God is doing by the awareness, by the access and the availability that God has given to us. We can answer the call. Let's look at what this pastor has to say to us. The call is for all those who know and love Jesus Christ to participate in this great commission. In every adventure, there are risks, costs, and dangers. We are here today because some people ventured into this without fear. Our love for Christ should be burning for the lost world. This world must be led back to Christ at all costs. We cannot retreat. The door is wide and time is now. We should use whatever is available not to wait until we get more or enough. If we all joined hands together as an army of Jesus Christ, especially in the Church of the Nazarene, with little from everyone, 
we are able to cloud the whole world. I love the line from that pastor. The time is now. Don't wait till you have more or enough. Give what you have now to answer the call that God has given to us. I want you to imagine the result. Let's look at verse 36 as we bring this to a close. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, go and do Likewise, Jesus not only answered the question of who is our neighbor and what does it mean to be a good neighbor, but he also asks, how are you doing with that? It's not just enough to know about it. He's calling us to action. See, the big idea for us today is though maybe uh, many years ago, our neighbor would be someone who only lived in close proximity to us. But with our ever shrinking world, we have awareness of all kinds of pain and problems and lost people all around the globe. With a 24-hour news cycle that is in, uh, pounding our brains and inundating every device that we have 24 hours a day, we are aware more than ever throughout history of all the needs that are around us. Through social media like Twitter and like YouTube, we can actually see and hear people who are crying out for physical help, for relational, emotional help. They're crying out and don't even know how to cry out for the spiritual help that only Jesus can fill the need in their life. We not only have awareness, we have access. More than 150 million Americans will travel internationally every year for business or travel or vacation, leisure, whatever it may be. You can be anywhere in the globe and in about 24 hours. But our access to people is not just by physically going. We have 159 world areas that the Church of the Nazarene is involved in. And you have access to those places in the world through the team of Nazarene Missions. But we have availability. We have access, awareness. We also have the ability. As I started, if you have more than $2 a day, you're in the top half of wealth. In the world. God is calling us to do our part to help support the mission work around the world. I don't know about you, but when I think about the millions upon millions of people who are yet to find Jesus as their Savior, I can feel overwhelmed. What can one person do? What can one local church do? What difference can we make? Watch this last video with me. And let it be an encouragement to you. This is my friend, Nicholas. Nicholas is like any other boy his age. And with every passing moment, Nicholas is changing. He's listening and learning, seeing and feeling, thinking and creating, running and jumping, growing and growing. But Nicholas is not alone, far from it. Because of those who give, Nicholas has been dynamically affected by Nazarene missions. Because of missions, Nicholas's ears will be filled with the songs of praise to the Lord, and his mind will bloom, with not only the knowledge of God's love for him, but with an education that will make him a leader in his community. Because of missions, Nicholas's hands will be able to touch and take part in the building, forming, and facilitating of the Church of the Nazarene in his country. 
and his eyes will perceive the colors of the gospel flourishing around him, which will lead him to dream of a world made new. Because of missions, Nicholas will be fed and clothed and given the chance to grow strong and happy. This is Nicholas. He is my friend. And because of missions and those who give, Nicholas is off running. Every time I get that feeling of what can I do, this video is an encouragement to me. There's one person that I can make a difference in. There is a community that Grace Point could impact. So as the musicians come, I want to invite you to take your bulletin this morning. And in the bulletin, you'll find a yellow card and a blue card. Would you pull that out? I'd like everybody to have a yellow and blue card in their hand. If, if you don't have a bulletin, you didn't get a yellow or blue card because you don't have a bulletin. If you'll just raise your hand, our ushers will make sure you get a bulletin. Just keep your hand up and they'll bring it to you. We had an opportunity to walk through this last week. Just keep your hand up. That's good. There's some here to my left, your right. There's some in every section, so just go to every section. We had an opportunity to walk through this last week, and I believe it's too important for us just to hit it once. We want to hit it twice. And uh, if you're new around here, maybe this thing of faith promise hasn't quite sunk in yet. You know, it's not just a pledge. A pledge is something that I do in my own strength. But a faith promise is by faith, I promise to God, God, with your help, I want to give to missions what it is you have put on my heart. So here's what we're going to do. You have a yellow card and a blue card. If you would take the blue card now, and as you would prayerfully consider what God is putting on your heart. Not what you think, eh, I can swing this. That's a good pledge. But this is a faith promise. God, I'm not trying to presume on you, but I feel like you're stretching me this year. And, and with your help, I want to be obedient to what it is you're calling me to do. If you would just write down the amount that you are committing to God by a faith promise that you feel he's leading you to give to World Evangelism Fund for the Church of the Nazarene to impact missions around the world. Now, the yellow card is for your records. If you would take a minute and you would just put that same amount there on the yellow card and you can keep that to remind you of the commitment you've made before God. We do this because we've learned over the years that people will call into the church office and say, hey, can you remind me of what my faith promise amount was? And we have to say, uh, no. We don't know what that is. That's between you and God. And then you say, well, pastor, well, what's up with the blue card then? Why am I turning that in? How, how does this help us? We have a goal of $110,000 for faith promise, and I am challenging us to, to strive for the third year in a row to give more away to others than we ever have in the history of the church. We thought we'd do it two years ago. We thought we'd do it last year, but each time we're giving away more than we ever have, and I believe we can do that again this year. And so to help us celebrate reaching our goal, if you would help us by filling out this blue card so we can know what it is that God has been laying on our hearts as a community of believers. Now, some of you, you're great in supporting missions and giving, but I need to tell you, you're, you're kind of lousy in filling out the blue card. And so uh, the name portion is optional here. If, if that freaks you out, you don't have to do that. But uh, we ask that you put a name on here because sometimes Superman pledges quite a bit of money and then we can't ever, you know, encourage Superman to keep giving. And uh, we want to make sure we know this is a real person if you would, would allow us to, to have that information. But uh, as Pastor Edgar plays this song, I want to encourage you to join Carrie and I and prayerfully think about 
the commitment that God is putting on your heart of what you are called to give to missions. We have awareness of the need. We have access through tremendous mission works in 159 world areas. And friends, you and I have the ability to do this. Let's prayerfully consider what God has put on our heart right now.